Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Hey, today I'm excited to have Chad Landers on with me. Um, now, before I get to Chad, I do want to read something. We had an awesome uh, iTunes review that I want to share with you because it hits the home on Chad's episode, why we do this and why we're doing the podcast. And iTunes kind of shows name in a weird kind of way. So um, this is from Barb. And Barb said, nearly every podcast seems to just recycle guests who seems to be the world's elite. This podcast is refreshing and relatable take for those who want to learn from people who are just everyday folks out in the world, day after day, trying to be resourceful as possible and achieving success. Brett makes it clear that this podcast is not just for coaches or those in the athletic performance or fitness space, and he's 100% true to his word. I'm a teacher, and I've been in education all my life, and these principles are the same ones I use with my students daily. Guys, first of all, Barb, thanks so much for the feedback. And that's exactly what why we had people like Chad on the podcast. Chad is super unassuming. Chad is a very patient, calm, just chill guy. And Chad has also been a super successful business owner for 30 years. Uh, he's never hitched his wagon or felt the need to just one celebrity or one person. And he's just kind of taken the turtle approach. So when you listen to this episode, I think it'll be really easy for you to get caught off guard because you might be like, okay, okay. It's like, you know, he's very calm and it can be easy to miss some of the key points, but I'd urge you, please, please pay attention. Chad has been named uh, personal trainer of the year was in 2018. He's got a graduate diploma in sports nutrition from the International Olympic Committee, and he's owned his own gym for 27 years, right in the heart of Los Angeles. Now, like I talk about all the time, and like Barb mentioned, you don't have to be in fitness or strength and conditioning to appreciate that. He's been a business owner for 27 years. He's managed staff for 27 years. He's had to deal with budgets and finance and high stakes situations and uncertainty for 27 years. And you know what? He talks about it. There's no secret. It's about knowing what being built to last means, being patient in your approach, not trying to jump for the quick thing, not trying to find credibility in all the wrong places. So I urge you, I urge you, please just enjoy this episode. Chad is a normal guy who's done a very extraordinary thing. He's lasted in a volatile market. He's living a great life. We used to go visit him all the time when we were out in LA. His wife has won two Academy Awards. That's very rare. Um, so just a unique guy and couldn't be more humble. Also, a quick reminder, we have apprenticeship workshops going on all over the world. So if you haven't already, go to artofcoaching.com backslash events, and you will likely find an apprenticeship near you. If you don't, just go to the apprenticeship page. Guys, they're free to host. All we ask is that you provide some coffee, some water and snacks for participants, and you help let others in your local area know about them. And uh, they're free to host. So it's pretty easy. You know, when I was speaking and I still do, uh, but, you know, typically there's some people that run into budget issues and just like I have to run a business, they do too. So we really wanted to create something that was like, hey, what's an immersive two day event? that we can really hammer home, that's affordable to people, provide CEUs and scale spectrums. None of what we talk about on the strength or the apprenticeship is strength and conditioning related. Now, can it apply to SNC? For sure, but it's leadership oriented, it's social skill oriented. So it's not just for strength coaches. None of our content is just for strength coaches. I just have happened to have been a strength coach in my career and still am. So I always try to challenge people. Remember, just as you can read a book about a Navy SEAL, just as you can read a book from an entrepreneur, you don't have to be those things to use those lessons. I say that a lot because I get asked that a lot. 
90% of our emails that are kind of art of coaching related are, hey, I'm not a strength coach, but that's fine. If you deal with people, our content at Art of Coaching is for you. To check that out, to learn more, just go to artofcoaching.com, look at the apprenticeship page, and you'll learn a whole host about what we do. It's one of the only workshops in the world that has a true evaluation for social skills, conflict resolution, personal uh, dynamics of power, politics, all those kinds of things, guys. We want to help. Hey, enjoy this episode. I can't thank all of you enough for listening. I'm always trying to get better as a podcaster, and uh, I know that there's a lot of imperfections, but hopefully you're enjoying the honesty of each show because that's really what it's about. All right, guys, here's Chad Landers. Enjoy. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. So nice to have you back for another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. I'm here with my friend, Chad Landers. Chad, what's good, man? Hey, man. How's it going? I'm glad to be on the podcast finally. I'm excited. Yeah, been far too long, guys. Just to give you context, and you already heard Chad's bio uh, on the intro part, but Chad and I first really got a chance to connect uh, more meaningfully when I lived out in Los Angeles. And one thing I really loved about Chad is, you know, I appreciate LA. I appreciate California. Um, but there can be a paucity of, of people that are just real, no nonsense, blue collar. Uh, and I know they're out there, but again, everybody knows what I mean, kind of LA mindset and things like that. And Chad just somebody that has a Midwest mentality. Uh, you know, he's no nonsense and he's just a good dude. And I find that anytime you have the chance to connect with somebody like that, especially when they've built such a sustainable, high powered, um, but just really built to last base career, you've got to take the chance to connect with them. So Chad, it's, uh, it's been a long time coming, man. And I, I appreciate you making the time. Well, I'm really excited to be on and, and it's hard to believe that you've been actually away from LA now, as long as you have and Now you got a kid and all this is just seems like wasn't that long ago. We were on the couch watching UFC and, you know, it's just kind of crazy that life just goes on no matter what. Right. What you have going on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had umami burger and everything else. Chad, like the, right? The big reason I wanted to have you on, and you and I connected offline about this, is, you know, the title of this episode is Built to Last, and that's exactly what you've done. You've you've built a career that hasn't hitched on the wagon of any one person, celebrity, athlete, anything like that. You've just created a good business based off a of blue-collar backbone and consistency. Talk to us about that, because that's pretty rare today in a time where everybody wants shortcuts. Everybody feels like they've got to hitch their wagon to an organization or uh, a celebrity or something. You know, why Why have you taken the patient and pragmatic approach, and, and really how have you done that and still succeeded over the more than two decades you've been a trainer? <laughs> it's hard to believe now. It's almost three decades, which is crazy, but I think... I'm I'm lucky in a lot of respects that when I came up, there wasn't even hardly an internet yet. Not as we know it now. They're just starting to have, you know, I don't know if you remember Prodigy and CompuServe and AOL, and you would go on to their 
sites. And then through them, you would actually access the internet. There was no direct way on. And so way back in those days, there was none of this pressure that I think a lot of young trainers and coaches have uh, to measure up to what they see on Instagram or on YouTube and that kind of thing. So I, I was very fortunate in that regard. that there, there was none of that out there. So I could just really spend my time honing my craft. And so, you know, I, I was lucky, I suppose, like you said, I'm, I'm from the Midwest and I have grown up in that blue collar ethos. So, you know, I, I had worked in fast food. I had worked in the sheet metal factory. I was a janitor and on and on and on. And so I, I, I knew the value of, of hard physical labor. And then more importantly, I think um, when I was at the sheet metal factory, I saw a lot of people who uh, had gotten college degrees in whether it was English or, or you name it. And because they had started a family young, perhaps, and they needed the paycheck, they never got out of that factory job and did what they really wanted to do with their life. And so that really imprinted on me while I was still in college. I'm like, you need to follow what your passion is, or at least find what your passion is first and, and go for it because it can be too easy to all of a sudden get, get sucked into like we were saying when we started, life can can get in the way. So I made a concerted effort to uh, what I, I broke up with a girlfriend and I made a concerted effort at that time. I'm going to leave Illinois and and give it a shot. And, and I went to Vegas for 10 months and then I got a lot of job offers from working in Vegas at, at the Bally's Casino because I was I was personable and I did have that kind of kind of Midwestern sensibility. So I wasn't trying to get anything from anybody or move myself forward by being connected to somebody. I was just me and people like that. And they, they gave me, you know, job offers all over the place in all kinds of fields. One of those happened to be as a personal trainer in Los Angeles. And now that's been 27 years I've been doing that. So, you know, I think I had the luck to have come up when I did and to kind of be, creating my own rules because there wasn't this, this huge thing. Personal training wasn't thought of as a career 27 years ago. You couldn't get a degree in, in personal training or, or, or strength coaching for that matter. Um, so, you know, I, I was lucky uh, in a lot of ways. And then once I had the opportunity out here, it was, it was 10 years. I was a trainer before I opened up my own facility and that 10 years was invaluable for me to, learn how to interact with people and learn more of those, those kind of soft arts, if you will, learn how to communicate with people and listen to people and, and how to really coach people and be there for them. And once I learned that it was way more than six pack abs or a 300 pound bench press or, or anything like that, and it was more just about being there for people and being a rock for them and some form of stability in their life. And we just happened to provide that through uh, the physicality, which I think for, for anybody is a great foundation for the, for what's outside of the gym or, or their sport. And so, um, yeah, it just kind of, kind of built its own momentum and I, and I got good at my craft and then I was able to open my own facility and that was now 17 years ago. And one of the things I had in mind when I opened my facility, cause I was the only trainer there and I was just bringing, you know, my own clients on, 
but I really thought about company culture. And, and 17 years ago, we didn't really have a name for that. We didn't call it company culture. But all I thought was, I want to create an environment where other trainers want to come here and bring their clients and their clients like it so much that they don't want to leave. Cause I figured I was going to have to have other trainers there to really be able to make a living at it. I couldn't just do it on my own. So that I think was, was important um, to be able to, to create my own place and my own um, kind of inner, inner sanctum, if you will. Cause I knew if it worked for me, it would probably work for the clients too. And, and luckily, uh, I mean, of course, I've had to refine things over the years and some things work and some things don't. But for the most part, I have pretty good instincts, I think. And, and now, like I say, it's been 17 years and I have multiple clients I've had for one and, and two decades and more. So it's, it's just kind of been a weird thing because it doesn't seem like it's been 27 years yet. Here it is, you know, 27 years later. I feel the same way I felt when I, when I first started training people. I'm, I'm excited to go to work every day and see everybody. And, and, you know, I just can't think of a better place to go to work than my gym, you know? That's awesome, man. And that's how it should be. Now you notice that you said something right out the gates there where you talked about, you never felt pressure to do something a certain way. And I think that's an important thing, Chad, to kind of pick up on, because I think a lot of times anybody uh, listening, you know, whether this is uh, you guys are teachers and you feel pressure to take a job at a bigger school, uh, whether you are a coach and you feel pressure like, oh man, should I take this job with a more notable organization or any professional, every professional feels some kind of pressure. Uh, you know, Chad, why do you feel like that was never really a thing for you? Is, are, are you naturally a patient person? Uh, have you kind of, had you followed that path before and it's taken you down a road where you kind of learned that lesson early? I mean, you just talked about how you've created all these great avenues and, and you've been doing it for so long, but inherently you must feel pressure about something, right? Or how, how have you dealt with that? Well, I think the biggest pressure, I mean, obviously when I first opened my gym, there was a pressure to make it happen. Right, you because, have to pay the bills. You have to, yeah, you, exactly. You, you own a gym you know, in, I, in LA. I mean, I know you're on the outskirts of it, but like, you know, you're on the North side, so it's technically not LA, but the right. bottom line is it's California taxes, right? California taxes, California money. You better earn some money. Oh yeah. Well, and then it is right in the heart of LA as far as high rents and all that kind of thing. Right. So yeah, it was, it was a big deal to take that leap of faith. And, and I was very lucky. I mean, one of the things, you know, I, I had a good partner, you know, my wife, Karen, uh, she's a two-time Oscar winner in sound. She's a little older than me, so she was established in her career. So she was a great role model for me. And obviously, you know, a, a great partner because I didn't have to come up with all the money for our family and for this new gym endeavor. I could just focus my attention on getting the gym up and going without worrying that we weren't going to have a roof over our head. Which so I hope, I don't lucky. mean to interrupt, but I hope people heard like your wife is a two time Oscar <laughs> winner. Like I know this cause I had the pleasure of meeting your wife, but like, just like, take a second, explain that to the audience here real quick. Like that's pretty <laughs> incredible. And that's fairly rare. Like, and you have a good partner, right? But like what yes. a two time Oscar winner. That's insane. Well, you know what? I, I I'll take a step back even from there. Uh, my wife was one of my first clients when I came to LA and through circumstance because of the Northridge earthquake in 94, we ended up becoming roommates and, and just became best friends and obviously eventually ended up in a, in a relationship and married. But when she was my client, um, she lost a significant amount of weight with me. And what I noticed after she lost the weight 
is she was less comfortable being in the background in her career. Uh, when, when she had, you know, more weight on her and she was younger and less established, she was kind of willing to let her work partner who was a male, uh, take, uh, all the credit and all the blame. And so she came up with a good idea. She would give it to him and let him kind of float it out there with producers and directors and, and not really stand on her own. And once I saw her have this, this transformation physically and have the self-confidence and all of a sudden she wasn't happy uh, being in the background anymore. And, and she found her own voice. And it was after that, that she then became, you know, a supervisor and won those Oscars. So I'm not going to say that, you know, I had a direct impact on her winning an Oscar. She obviously did the work and has always done great work, but I do think that that time she spent gaining that confidence in, in her physicality had that carryover outside of the gym and having that confidence in her career and her willingness to put herself out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a big part of anything, right? Putting yourself out there and the pressure that can come as a result, you know, a previous guest had talked about that, just the lengths that people will go to, to protect themselves yet, you know, as a society, I think that there's tremendous value in running towards discomfort. You know, right now I know we talk a lot about people just always being happy and grateful and mindful. And I think that's fantastic. But, you know, when you are in a place where the sun always shines, uh, that can also lead to the creation of a desert. I don't think people allow themselves to feel, you know, the reality of a cascade of emotions or a constellation of traits and though you might not always feel a ton of pressure, you know, there's stakes out there. And I mean, you had to be a little bit nervous about opening a business, let alone a fitness business in California. I mean, this wasn't part of the, the gold gym boom, right? Time period. Like, <laughs> right. Like this was a risk. Was it not? It, it was absolutely a risk. It, it was a pretty substantial risk, but you know, I'd already been in LA for, for 10 years and in the fitness industry for probably closer to 15 when I opened the place. So I felt like I had a good head on my shoulders for creating this, this space that I thought people would resonate with. Now I wasn't necessarily the world's greatest business person at that time. Um, but that has taken years to develop too. And, and, you know, I, I was lucky that I was able, I think, to build up the gym between uh, 2003 and, and 2008 or nine when the economy hit the skids there because after that I retracted about 30%, but I was able to withstand that. And I think that had I opened up at the beginning of 2008, let's say put all my money into this and then the bottom fell out before I ever got a chance to really get it off the ground, it could have been a different situation. So, you know, a lot of it is, is, is luck and timing and then, you know, making good decisions, not overextending yourself, um, you know, just kind of knowing what your limits are and what your, your capabilities are. Uh, you know, I had the ability when I, when I first opened the gym, uh, it had been a gym at one time. So it had the permits, which are difficult to get in LA. And at one point it had been four storefronts. And when I looked at it, there were, there were three storefronts still available and I could have had all three, but instead I just took the center two. And now I wish I had the third one, but had I had that extra square footage, at the time when the economy hit the skids, I might not have survived. You would that. have been screwed. So, yeah. No. And, and Yeah. So I think that, you know, a lot of times people, when they look at maybe opening up a facility or their own, their own business, if, if they're not in fitness, they, it's an ego play sometimes. And they want to kind of be known as you know, a, a restaurateur or whatever it is without really making sure 
that they can do it and do it well first. And, and there can be such a thing as starting off too big and getting yourself in such a, a deep financial hole that you just can't get out of it. So I was always much more kind of slow, organic growth. I've never done any type of advertisements, any paid advertisements, either in real life, no, no direct mailers, no, you know, ads in local papers or whatever, and, and no Facebook ads or anything like that. Um, I, obviously I have a website. People can find me if they were to Google me or Yelp or whatever, but I've never paid for advertising. And I think that's a big thing is that I, I didn't spend money um, that I didn't have. And I really built on word of mouth referrals and then being in a good location once I did open a spot. Because I could have opened a spot in a different location that cost less and had a lot more square footage, but people wouldn't have driven by there in LA. It just, it just wouldn't have happened. So I got in a good spot where I'm right in between Universal Studios and Warner Brothers and, and Disney is close by and a lot of wealthy people live in Toluca Lake where the gym is and, and Studio City right next door where I live. So, you know, I set myself up for success as well by choosing a good location and, and, and that type of thing. I didn't get <clears throat> these grandiose ideas. Well, you know, 2000 square feet is not enough. I need to open up a 10,000 square feet thing and have, you know, turf wall to wall and all that kind of stuff. I started within my capabilities. And I think that was an important uh, thing because if I had done too much too soon, I don't think I would have survived. Yeah. Well, I think you touched on another critical point there of knowing your limits. I think we get this idea of it in our mind of like limitless leadership and, you know, always push your boundaries, but sometimes boundaries are there for a reason with respect to what we're trying to do. I mean, timing has to be right. And you've touched on that with understanding the market. You know, I always get worried when people talk about like, uh, how, how much can you challenge yourself and how much can you do these things, which, you know, I'll say those things in the context of certain circumstances, but when it comes to opening uh, a business, when it comes to doing something where there's a lot of risk, and I don't even think it's just opening a business. I think it's, this applies to those of you listening that are even taking a certain opportunity. If you guys go back and listen to our, our podcast with Mike Boyle, we talk about how many people will chase the wrong opportunities and then they'll also do it at the wrong time because they feel like they have something to prove. And right. I, I think that's one thing that's always stood out to me about you, Chad, is you've never came across as somebody that has something to prove. Has that played a role in, in you know, you being able to be patient and pragmatic? I mean, of course you're competitive with yourself, but right. talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I don't think that I necessarily thought about that in advance. Um, you know, I, I wasn't like, I'm like, well, I'm just like Joe Cool and nothing bothers me and I'll just do my thing. I, it wasn't th that well thought out. But I knew that it's one of those things where, you know, you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. Sure. So <laughs> I knew the things that I knew, I knew really, really well. And I knew that they worked. And I had, you know, a track record of people st staying with me. I mean, like I said, before I opened the facility, I'd had clients, who'd, multiple clients who'd been with me for eight, nine, 10 years. So I knew that I was doing something right because that's just unheard of in our field. And so I had, you know, maybe it was delusional at the time, but I kind of almost had that field of dreams thing, build it and they will come. I just had belief in myself that, I know what I'm doing. I've seen enough of the bad stuff and with people that I'd worked for in different environments to know what not to do. And I seem to have good instincts on what to do and how to treat people. So, you know, I, I just thought that I could make this thing a go. And I was fortunate that the 
you know, the space was literally like three minutes from my house, which anybody who's been to LA knows that is a godsend mm. to not have, you know, an, an hour commute each way or more every day. So I think that's been something that's been able to, to keep me happy and excited and motivated. I don't know that I would be that way if I'd spent hours on the freeway every day for the last 27 years. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, and so when, let's say, you know, you, you've, you've made this decision, you opened it up and you see all these people around you, Chad, you know, and around you being metaphorical on social media, you hear them talking about things at clinics and conferences. It's really easy for social comparison to creep in. Talk to sure. me about how you've been able to put on blinders and just stay focused on you. Cause I think that's everything that that's something that every leader, whether they're a business owner or not, you know, deals with is they don't want to get caught up in external noise at uh, what other people are doing. And now it's easier than ever. Talk to me about your strategies of dealing with that. And maybe even a time where you did take the bait and you sure. got caught chasing the wrong thing. How'd you recoup? Well, I would say um, again, in, in the beginning, I was fortunate that there wasn't, there wasn't Instagram and that, that kind of stuff. So there was less of that, you know, keeping up with the Joneses mentality where you see somebody on social doing something or whatever. And so you feel like you have to keep up. So I was, I was lucky in that regard that when I was starting out, I didn't have that pressure. So I had before, when was that probably like 2010 or so when that stuff, social started to get big um, you know, before then, I had had a, a good long time in the field to establish myself and to feel good about myself and who I was as as a as a coach and as a leader and as a person. And so that was that was fortunate, I think. Um, I, and also having been around a long time in the field, so you know, when I started in the you know, late '80s, step aerobics was a big thing. And then in the early '90s, Taibo was a huge thing. The first gym I worked at in LA was right across the street from Billy Blank's first studio. So I saw Taibo blow up at the beginning and, and be on every infomercial and then be gone. And, and then we, we saw, you know, curves on every corner and, and, and then they went away. Now, something like CrossFit has stood more of the test of time, but I just discovered that, you know what, all these things that tend to be bright and shiny and new tend to flame out almost as fast. And the stuff that I did, um, was stuff that had been around for a hundred years. I wasn't reinventing the wheel. You know, I, I was just trying to really roll that wheel really, really well. So I, I, I was lucky in that regard, but I think once social media took hold and then you'll see people, some people that may be, may be very good coaches and some people that may not be, but you start to see them, they've got X number of followers or they've got, you know, more famous clients than you or, or whatever it is. And it can be like frustrating feeling like how do, how do people not see me and not see this great work that I do and have been doing for so long, you know, because yeah, it's, it's to natural to feel defense. I think some people, uh, you know, feel like they shouldn't, it's natural to feel defensive about that. You put your heart into this stuff, you know, we Absolutely. always, I think it's silly to it pretend is. like it doesn't bug you. Of course it bugs everybody to a degree. You want to do great work. Absolutely. And it, and it, it does get you frustrated when you see, especially in LA, because there's so much that in the you know, kind of celebrity culture, there's so much misinformation and woo that gets very popular. And I was just never willing to go ahead and, and go down that rabbit hole and promote something that I didn't believe in just to maybe get a certain client or, or jump on 
something that was shiny and new. So in that respect, I was good. Um, but yeah, when it comes to maybe seeing other coaches that may be perfectly fine coaches, but you see that, oh man, they've been in the game a fraction of the time that I have. And how do they have, you know, so many followers or this, these clients or whatever. And, and you got to let that stuff go because ultimately it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect my day-to-day ability to do my job. And two, there's, a, there's enough out here for everybody. So if somebody else happens to, you know, come upon a situation where they got certain clients and they referred them people, that's the same thing I did. I just happened to get different clients. So you, you can't really be jealous of other people and, and where they're at in their career and what they're doing and, and feeling like, you know, you deserve more or whatever. It's just a, it's a losing proposition to spend time wasted thinking about that. But, you know, it, it'll pop into your head and you can just uh, deal with it and recognize it for what it is and then let it go and get back to the business of doing what you do really, really well. And, and that was, I think, an, an ethos again, that served me well. So it didn't matter if I was working at a sheet metal factory or a janitor or whatever, I tried to do it to just the absolute best of my ability. I tried to be a good employee and a good coworker and invariably opportunities would come out of that because people would recognize that you were, you were different than other people in some way. You just weren't kind of coasting along. And so they would see, Oh, well, this person is, is doing this well, they can handle more. And, and they, they want to gravitate towards that and have that in their lives as well. So I think I was, I was fortunate in that regard to, to start out young with a certain ethos set. Um, but I would be lying if I say that there weren't times where you're like, Oh man, this, this such and such trainers on a TV show now or whatever. But you know, I didn't pursue that stuff. So I could have gone that route if I wanted to, but I decided that that wasn't for me. So I can't very well turn around and then be jealous of the fact that it didn't happen. That's right. Yeah. Kind of I think, <laughs> yeah, we talk about, you know, you can't uh, want to be the adjective without doing the verb, you know, and that goes in a variety right. of different ways, you know, um, w- within this, right. So there's people listening that inherently they feel committed to their craft, they're locked in, they're in it for the right reasons. There's so many things going on. Your dogs are one of them. I hear them going in the background. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I've even closed off from them. No, it's all I don't good. know what's going on. It's all good. So there's people <laughs> listening that are super committed. They're locked in. They've been patient. They've been pragmatic, but man, they're still having trouble kind of breaking through. Uh, they're trying to right. figure out like what's, what is missing. And they're in that very vulnerable stage, Chad, where, they could easily get sucked on that rabbit hole or they could just keep, oh, just uh, keep doing what you're doing. But what is some real pragmatic advice? Call it three steps, three things you really want them to consider or think about so that they can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and I'm not looking for inspiration here. We're looking for right. something that like is a tactical strategy to help those people that they're just they want to feel like the good guy can win in this. What, what do you encourage them to do? Right. Well, the first thing is authenticity. They have to be themselves and they have to be comfortable with that and knowing that who they are and what they are is the only thing that makes them unique. And I tell this when I lecture to trainers, I could be in a room of a hundred trainers or coaches and I expect every one of them has the ability to train a client as well or better than me. That, that shouldn't be an issue, but can they do the other things that they need to do? Can they listen well and, and make the time spent with the person about them rather than about the trainer themselves. And I think a lot of times when trainers and coaches are young or anybody for that matter, when they're, they're young and starting out in a the field, 
there's such a desire to prove themselves and to get noticed that and, and, and nowadays unfortunately I think probably uh, idea to um, you know take shortcuts there's got to be some way that we can hack this and make this happen quicker and instead of taking the time to to really get good at their craft so I think that you know getting good at the craft is, is one thing um, being authentic and not trying to be something you're not and that's a huge thing for me I don't put myself out there as being X, Y, or Z when I know that's not me. You know, I do myself really, really well. And if it's something that somebody gravitates with, that's great. And if I'm not for everybody, that's cool too. I hope they find somebody that they do resonate with better. And so I don't try to get jealous if I'm not the be all and end all for everybody. So I just do me and I do it really, really well. And I think that young trainers should do that too. Whatever they're they're passionate about and into, um, and, and whether they're a, a trainer or not doesn't really matter. Uh, but that's okay. Be passionate about that and, and show other people your passion. But be authentic about it. Don't don't try to you know BS people and and make them think you're something that you're not. It's okay to be young and and not be your your fully developed self yet. And you're you're going to take other avenues. Um, maybe that, than what you thought, uh, once you get out of school, um, and you, you just got to try to be, be honest with yourself. I was really good at taking risks and by taking risks, I mean like leaving Illinois and moving to Las Vegas and then leaving Las Vegas and moving to LA and, and not knowing anybody. And so I, I took risks like that, but they were, they were calculated and they were smart risks. It's not like I risked my life savings to, do some crazy venture, you know, I, I was smart about it, but I was willing to at least take the risks that were the worst thing that could happen was that I would fail and have to maybe move back home or something like that. But I wasn't going to, you know, my life wouldn't be over. So um, that, that's a big thing. I think for me too, it's, it's, it's being willing to take smart calculated risks. And that goes back to putting yourself in, in a situation for success. And I don't care what career you're in, if you want to have the ability to, to make moves and take opportunities, one of the things you got to deal with is controlling things like debt. And I think a lot of young people, especially they get those credit cards in college and they've got, you know, money now all of a sudden they're what they think is money and, and they go out and they, they buy the flashy car. And again, it's part of that kind of keeping up with those Instagram people. And well, this person's, you know, got a six pack and driving a Maserati. So I need to do that too. So I can look like I belong in this group or, or whatever it is. And it's like, no, it's like Warren Buffett still driving his old Honda. I think it isn't living in the house that he, he grew up in and the guy's a bazillionaire. So it's that type of thing too. setting yourself up for success by not having this huge debt load or not having, you know, some type of a hard commitments that keep you from, from making moves that could better yourself. Yeah. So just, I mean, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, you're taking, you're talking about take calculated risks, uh, whether that's debt, making sure you're not pursuing the wrong situation, which is a common theme in this podcast, you know, and, and just being patient and pragmatic in your approach, which again, you know, I think you nail home. Now let's talk about, you know, one piece that I think you have to inherently be good at as a leader of any kind is managing expectations. One, your own, right? You didn't have any illusions that your business was all of a sudden going to grow uh, overnight exponentially, right? It, it takes time to get people through the door, but then also right. the expectations of your staff and also your spouse, because everybody 
is involved with this. Would you mind kind of talking to us about how to manage expectations? Because I think that's what everybody listening, you know, they either have a significant other or they have a staff or they have other people, a, a team within their organization they've got to deal with. How do you handle that side of things, Chad? Well, I think, A, you've got to be, and I wasn't always good at this at all, um, but you have to be able to have those hard conversations, especially if you're a leader in an organization, because you can't sit there and if people aren't doing things necessarily the way that you want them done and you're not willing to have a conversation with them about it, you just want to let it kind of stew and get under your skin. And all of a sudden you've created this toxic environment, which is really your own doing, not the the person under you because you didn't explain to them what the expectations were. So now I'm much different whenever I see issues, whether it's, it's with a particular trainer, or if I see that two trainers that I have maybe have issues with each other, you know, I'll call them into the room together and say, okay, let's figure this out. Let's see what's going on. And most people, the issue is, is they just want to be heard and they're feeling usually obviously misunderstandings a lot of times, small things. So you know, I think that you have to manage expectations from the jump. This is what I expect of you. This is the way I expect things to go. I, I always, you know, my, my trainers have keys to the facility so they can come and go anytime they want. So they basically are an extension of me. And so I tell them, I expect things to run as if I was there. Even if you think I have a rule that's stupid or silly or, or really not that important, I expect you to follow them. And if they didn't follow them, then we would have an issue. You know, I would have to have a conversation because um, that's just what the expectations are. And I made them clear. So I think that's important. Um, obviously, if you're in a you know relationship with a spouse or somebody you're thinking about becoming your spouse, again, you've got to have those hard conversations. And a lot of times we're so fearful of being alone or of the person we're with not liking what we have to say that we don't have those conversations. And it's no wonder the divorce rate is so high because a lot of people never should have gotten married to begin with, but they never had these conversations at the time when it mattered because they were too scared of losing the other person or being alone or what have you. And then all of a sudden they stayed together when they shouldn't and they got kids and, and all this stuff. Like we talked about again in the beginning that life happened to them and, and they weren't in the driver's seat. So I think anytime that you, feel like there's an uncomfortable conversation that needs to be had, you're probably right. And it's not going to get better waiting longer to have it. So it's better to just have it from the jump and, and, and go from there. So now um, when new people come in, trainers, clients, whatever it is, I, I talk about, you know, expectations and I don't, I don't over promise like on my end. So let's say it's a client. I'm not going to promise them that they can lose, you know, 50 pounds in six weeks because they saw it happen on biggest loser or, or whatever it is, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to manage their expectations too. And, and then try to do that. Even with part of the sales process is managing expectations. You don't want to sell people on one thing and then knowing you can't deliver it, but figure, well, I got their money now. So, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. It's like, no, that's a way to make for disgruntled people, you know, but if you manage expectations, even during the sales process. And that goes for anything if you're selling, not just personal training or fitness. So I think it's, it's those conversations that we all are afraid to have. 
um, that we need to get good at it, like the you know, art of communication and, and of listening. And if we all did that better, I think everything would go better. Yeah. Well, it's not easy, right? Because like, do you guys do any kind of formal training for that? I mean, I know you value communication a great deal and, you know, but do you, do you guys, do you have your staff go to any workshops? Do you go to any workshops? How do you work on your communication? How do you work on the art of having these kind of difficult discussions? Or is that stuff that you guys are still kind of working towards? Is that something you haven't identified? Now, selfishly, we're asking that because that's a big part of what we do at Art of Coaching, but I'm also inherently curious as your friend, because I sure. know that you value this, you know, and uh, I, I know if anybody works on it in some capacity, it's you because you're, you're thoughtful about it, even if it is, um, you know, with, within your own internal thing, but it, do you guys do anything that you found helpful? I mean, there's not any, I would say any formal, you know, ed- sure. education process in it. Um, and I'm lucky too, because everybody that I have with me, whether they've worked with me or I've just known them, I've known them for 10, 15, 20 years. So we're a family now. So it's, so it's a different dynamic. Um, obviously you still have to manage expectations and you still have to have those conversations, but it's not like I'm kind of concerned with onboarding right. somebody new. You sure. know? It, it's, it's just a different deal, but I would think that anybody who does you know, bring on new people. It would be highly valuable to have some type of, of curriculum or at least an outline or something on on how to have conversations and, and manage expectations and um, you know know what you're worth and and all those kind of things from from both ends from the the employer side, employee side, or you know trainer, coach, athlete, whatever it is. Um, I think it's a it, it's a two way street. You know, expectations and, and communications and it. It can't just be um, one side, you know, dictating everything. So I've tried to be like that as as a leader at, at the gym, even though everybody knows it's it's my place and and all that. I, but I try to give people autonomy and and not just dismiss their ideas. And I, and I used to be a little, I think, less receptive to that when I was younger and more insecure about who I was. So then, anytime somebody else had an idea that wasn't mine, I would I would poo poo it and whatever just out outright rather than saying you know what this is actually a a good idea and just because it wasn't mine doesn't mean anything you know and and that took a while to learn because you have to become secure with yourself and who you are as a person and then all of a sudden you can make other people grow and 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 hopefully the people that you you coach and and mentor or or lead will do even better than you It it would be fantastic if everybody who i have at the gym decided you know what I want to open my own place and I, and I need your help to do it. Boom. Here we go. That would, that would be fantastic, but that, that doesn't happen very often, but you should want your people that you lead to try to, you know, outdo you and the student becomes the master at some point. Yeah. Well, I think, and I mean, that's a, that's an important part of being a, a great leader, right? Is allowing for people to the opportunity to be better than you. And I think that's something missed as well, because it can be such a territorial space to get to this metaphorical top of the mountain. And, uh, you know, there's this reticence of like, oh, I've got to keep a secret and, you know, uh, we got to make sure that there's always something I can fall back on. But inherently, people are going to want to train with a wide variety of individuals for a wide variety of reasons, just like people are going to want to eat pizza from a wide variety of restaurants or people are going to want to 
uh, consume a, a wide variety of, of different kinds of, of music or art or other cultural elements. And I think just having this appreciation of abundance that, you know, if, if you have a good service, you have a good uh, tactile element side of things and, and technical expertise, you're going to do all right. You know, and there's more than enough to go around. I mean, I would imagine, Chad, you create ample opportunities for others to succeed. And like, do you think there is, was there a time where you weren't like that, where you kind of felt like, um, you know, it, you had to hold some stuff back? I mean, maybe it was just even numbers of your business or a certain training technique or I don't know, anything. Do you felt, did, did you ever feel like you, you just, you had to kind of keep that one hand, uh, an ace in the hole, so to speak? And if so, how did that play out for you? Um, well, I think, yeah, it's kind of human nature. I think, especially when you're, when you're young and coming up and maybe you're learning something new and maybe you feel like, you know, something that somebody else doesn't do. So, so you, you kind of puff up your chest and, you know, one of the things that I've learned over the years in LA is, you know, I could have, whether it's a celebrity client, perhaps they may come to you and they may have done something else maybe for years before they came to see you. And maybe it was something that was completely wrong and backwards and whatever. I don't feel the need to bash whatever it is they were doing. If I had somebody come in and, and it's easy to pick on something like CrossFit because people you know, have been picking on it with injuries and stuff like that. But let's say somebody came in and they, they started talking about, oh, I used to go to CrossFit, but I got hurt, whatever. I'm not going to sit there and, and bash it and say, yeah, you're right there. They don't know what they're doing because, you know, there's any number of reasons why people can get hurt. It may have nothing to do with, with what was or was not going on with CrossFit. The other thing is, is that people, you know, they may already feel stupid in a way for maybe they used to do some type of weird dietary strategy or whatever it is. I don't need to pile onto that and make them feel even dumber about spending so much time or so much money barking up the wrong tree. I think that that's pointless. So I just, if people need to vent about stuff like that, I let them vent and, and I listen, but I don't feel the need to join in and, and make this huge like bonfire of negativity about something else. I'm just all about me and what we're going to do and, and moving things forward. And, and hopefully what, what I do clicks and you have a better experience with it. But I think that's a huge thing. Cause I think a lot of times you'll see that people, especially early on in their careers, they feel the need to, to bash competitors or, or even, even friends, whoever it may be so that they feel better about themselves or so that they feel like they can market themselves in some way uh, that's, that's better than the next guy. And I just don't feel the need to do that at all. And, and I think it's, it's detrimental in the long run because people are going to just, they're just not going to like that negativity, whether they tell you or not. And so I've been lucky to, kind of let that stuff go and, and, and not get sucked into that. And, you know, one of my clients who was with me for 25 years, and you can imagine 25 years, I'm not doing a hugely different amount of training with them than I was 25 years ago. So there's got to be some reason why they're coming in. And what they tell me is, is because I'm always happy to see them. I always seem to be in a good mood and, and being positive. And, and that's what people want. They don't want to come in after they've already had a shit day at their job or maybe they're stressed with their family and then come in and hear you bitching about CrossFit or bitching about keto or whatever it might be. It's like that that's not what it's about. And so, you know, I think it's it's, you know, positivity is a huge thing and, and being comfortable with yourself 
and just and doing your thing and focusing on that and, and and trying to let all that other stuff just go away. Yeah, easier said than done, man. But you're right. You know, so within that, what's next for you? You know, you've you've got this business. You've been in the field, like you said, oh, nearly three decades now. Um, you know, what's something that you're looking to now? I mean, is it continuing to to build in that space? Do you have other aims? And what's the end goal for you and Karen, you and your staff? I mean, personally and professionally, and 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 what are the steps you're going to take next to get there? Well, you know, it's hard to believe sometimes that like you're the age that you are because. I've been yeah, because you're old for... as shit. I mean, you're. <laughs> I know, dude. Just messing with <laughs> the beard, you. My beard is gray. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like you know, my wife and I are both in our fifties now, and we both love our careers. And neither one of us golfs, so I can't imagine us retiring or why we would want to retire. But I'm sure there's going to come a point where maybe we just just want to do something different. Although I love what I do, and I still train. You know, probably around. 30, you know, client hours a week aside from running the business. So I obviously still love it. I can't imagine not training people, but now I'm trying to do more with giving back and, and educating uh, the next generation, whether it be trainers or clients. Uh, one of the things that I'm working on, and, and maybe by the time this podcast is out, it might even be live. Uh, I'm working on a course for starting out for fitness professionals, but it really could be for anybody. Um, with financial planning and dealing with money and all that kind of thing, because it, it's such a, a industry-wide problem where trainers and coaches just don't have any money. And so if you, if you're loaded and saddled down with debt and you don't know how to get out of it, you don't know how to save and how to invest, or you can't even begin to think about being in my position then and retiring at some point, because that's, that's so far out of your realm of possibility that, um, you know, it just doesn't even register. So I'm trying to do that kind of thing, more help with the things that I think people need more of. I do have a small uh, group of, of trainers that I, I mentor online. I'll probably end up doing similar to what you're doing, some, some live events at some point, um, working on helping them communicate better. Um, just basically all the things that I see that they're lacking. I don't think that it, most trainers and coaches need more X's and O's of training. They need more communication skills. They need more business savvy and business acumen. And so that's kind of where my passions are pulling me towards. It's it's that kind of thing. And then on the, on the client side, I still love, you know, training gen pop average people as, as well as celebs for that matter. Um, it's, it's having more um, products and such out there, more information out there, uh, because there's so much bad stuff out there and so much misinformation. So if the fact that I've been in the field for so long and the fact that I've had some celebrity clients leads any credibility to me for whatever reason, then if I can put out the right information and, and more people see it because of that, then I think that's a good thing. So I, I need to spend more time um, putting pen to paper on that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that's easier said than done, man. And that's uh, it's understandable why, you know, another reason I think that you've lasted as long as you have and you've been successful is you're discerning about what you do, you know. And again, we live in this society of output, so we got to be really smart about, you know, what we do. I talk about it again and again and again. Whenever somebody says, are you going to do another book? I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I'm not going to do it just to do it. I put out something, whether it's an online course, a book, a podcast, uh, a new coaching course or what have you. 
every single year since conscious coaching has been released, which, you know, that was the first year I went out on my own. And so, you know, just like a musician or a director doesn't put out something all the time, you've got to be discerning about that. So I think that's smart. Well, listen, Chad, if somebody wants to connect with you, if they're out in the Los Angeles area, if they have a chance to be able to see your work, I know you're super open. I know you always take the time to meet with people and help them any way you can. What are the best ways to get a hold of you? How can they come see you? What can they do? Uh, well, the website for the gym is pushprivatefitness.com. Eventually, uh, I'll have chadlanders.com for more of my educational stuff, but that's not up and live just yet. Uh, but people can always find me on social media. Uh, one of the best things about being around for so long is I'm at Chad Landers on Twitter and I'm at Chad Landers on Instagram or whatever. You know, I've, I've got my name since I was the first one to to go for it. So I'm easy to find on social media. Um, whether that's, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or, or check out the website, pushprivatefitness.com. Yeah. I love having, having visitors to the gym. People see uh, what we do and how we do it. Or, uh, you know, if people just need advice, they can reach out to me through the, the website and send me a message or, or even, you know, a DM me in, on social media. Um, try to do whatever I can to, to pay it forward and, um, you know, help people in any way that I can. But, you know, sometimes the most powerful thing is, is the ability to say no. You can't spread yourself too thin either. So, um, you know, I try to be as helpful as I can with, within you know, the limitations of making sure everything else is taken care of, too. Yeah. Well, listen, you you'll find that balance, man. And I think uh, everybody else out there, we've, we preach it a lot in this podcast. And so, you know, hopefully they've gotten that message. But, you know, you're definitely somebody that they need to connect with. I appreciate, like I said, th- this People sometimes worry when they come on the podcast, oh, I don't think it would be a sexy episode. I don't think this and that. I think, man, you know, people have to understand that if you want to last long term, nothing is sexy. It's all just steady. It's calm. I mean, you can sense the equanimity in your voice. You're you're always just kind of taking the steady approach. And I appreciate that about you, man. And I appreciate you taking your time. I know the listeners do, too. Well, I appreciate you having me on in front of your audience because I know a lot of times, um, you know, I see, you know, I was... A couple of years ago, I was the you know, NSCA Personal Trainer of the Year, and that's more of a strength coach's world that way. And you can even see it within the organization. There's this almost like dichotomy where strength and conditioning coaches are, are on one level, and like the trainers are like over here on the side, like thought a little bit less than. And you're not like that, you know. You're you don't care what somebody does or, or where they work as long as they're doing good work and and authentic and doing good things so i appreciate you getting me in front of an audience that i might not have been in front of if it wasn't for you so thank you for that no it's my pleasure i don't really you know i don't really look at things like that man i look at it as anybody listening to this podcast is a leader or a teacher or somebody that wants to get better i could really care less what domain any of us are in and so right. uh even though some of us have different backgrounds and obviously i have one in, in strength and conditioning and you're in another and it's all leadership, man. It's all growth. And so I think people that continue to find just divides like that are missing the big picture. So it's all good. And guys, always remember, you know, we are able to do this show through your support and the support of our sponsors. So if anything hit home, please leave an iTunes rating and review. Please share with friends. All those little things make a huge difference. We are a small business like on Main Street. And so we just want people to uh, tell others about our work. And uh, yeah, we'll keep putting out content and getting folks like chad on the show so chad until next time man i appreciate you coming on thanks man anytime all right guys take care this has been the art of coaching podcast we'll see you again soon 